Hello everybody. This is the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm... Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, please go ahead. Well, can I go now? No. I'm Val Hughes. Get it. And who are okay, you? Okay. And I'm... What do you mean, who am I? I'm Vern Value. Okay. That's who terrific. I am. Listen, we're the Value Guys, and we're 20-year Wall Street analysts. We get together every week. We read Value and good friends, lines. as you can tell. Yeah. Well, we just met. Whatever. Uh... But uh, we have uh, had to take on secret identities in order to bring you our candid opinions about Wall Street's, uh, I'm sorry, Value Lines Weekly Stock Picks. Um, you've seen us quoted in the press and seen us interviewed on TV, but our bosses would never appreciate us uh, being on these shows, so we've altered our voices so they'll never know. Uh, for full disclosures, please go, please go to our website, www.thevalueguys.com, where you can learn more about us, including the fact that uh, we may own uh, all of these or many of these stocks. Uh, I try to own all of them. Vern uh, owns, I think, you own all of them, too. I only wish I did. Yeah, and so, uh, and uh, we view these shows as entertainment. We are, uh, you know, very serious investors. We're trying to get these stock picks right, but uh, uh, this show is entertainment. We'd just be doing this anyway, having a couple of drinks. Uh, this week, we'll be reviewing Value Line Investment Survey data July 21st, 2006. Boy, doesn't time fly? It really does. Having I'm having a riot. I really This was a tough week on Wall Street. I mean, uh, stocks move around, and boy, do they. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a Barron's cover from uh, August uh, or October, rather, 1987, a guy in a briefcase waving a flag and... It doesn't quite feel like that yet, so uh, just, you know, it can get a lot, lot worse. <laughs> we hope it doesn't. Uh, that's nervous laughter. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Now, later in the show, this is Val, I'm going to talk uh, about some of the drug companies. They focused in on the drug industry this week on page 1244. I'm going to talk about Bar Pharmaceutical, a generic guy, uh, BioVail. They make some product. They do some generics. Merck, of course, Pfizer, uh, Perigo, which makes OTC Pharmaceuticals, and Teva, which is an Israeli what are you generic. Name every one of them? I'm going to name the ones I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, excuse me. And uh, now I'd like to turn uh, the the podium over to uh, my colleague Vern Value. Vern. So it's a it's a virtual podium, right? Of course, of course, it of is. course it is. Of course it is. Why? Thank you for that fine introduction today. The 21st of July. Um, We're trying something a little different today. We got. Uh, Headphones on. Usually we yeah, use a mic, doing, so uh, I don't know how it's going to all work new, today. New technology. We're optimistic, but we're yeah, also I don't realists. Know. And, I can't uh, hear myself. And we're analysts. We're not IT yeah. guys, so uh, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Uh, this was kind of a tough, you know, tough market, tough issue of value line. Remember last week, the thing was covered with stars on the uh, table of contents. They loved everything. They don't like do a lot here. That. They're not, they're not recommending anything in the real estate investment trust. Oh, excuse me, trust industry. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to spend any time there. I well, those guys are buying property that yields less than their cost of capital. So uh, unless things keep going up in value, they're really underwater. It's a dangerous area right now, I think, for a value guy to be involved. In. Anyway, I digress. Please go on. <laughs> Why, thank you for that. I just heard a guy, guy, a guy, no, a hedge fund no, no, guy. You're, you're absolutely told me right. this. I'm not a hedge fund guy, no, but that's I, I, what I heard. No, they, the only thing that's happening there is people trying to sell, uh, trying to sell securities to the public at uh, valuation levels that are uh, generous. Um, Alcan, Alcoa. Uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this one. BHP Billiton. I mean, big players in metals and mining. That's what I'm going to talk about this week. I'm not going to talk about anything else. Just metals and mining. Hot area. Focus, Commodity focus, focus. Prices up. 
Um, been, the stocks have been huge. Uh, more controversial, more recently, uh, is the story as good, are the facts as good as the story? Uh, when, um, uh, when do we, uh, <coughs> when do we uh, get some kind of validation that uh, China is not a flash in the pan? And you know, how many times have uh, we all been burned by China stories or other? Uh, well, they got a lot of guys over there, the no past. question, and they anyway, seem to want uh, Buicks. Don't want to belabor it. Takes a lot of metal. There's actually before I did that, I took a look at the precious metals industry because they had a one-rated stock there. I always take like take a look at what value line likes the best. Um, you know, really, when you're it, the the one they like is a gold producer. When you're talking precious metals, that of course is most of the index. Um, and this, I mean, this index hasn't as performed as well as the overall uh, mining one has. Um, gold prices recently over six hundred dollars, I guess. Have they been higher than that? I'm not sure. I don't follow gold specifically, but it seems to me I, most of my natural life on the yeah. planet. It was around two hundred dollars or well, less. Four hundred a lot. I, I don't think it, it recently. I don't think it got through the old highs. I mean, back from the uh, late seventies, I remember. You know, you you got uh, peak in gold, but I, I, so it's been favorable. Their favorite idea is something called. I I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Agnico, Agnico, Neco, hmm. maybe nickel. Don't don't know. Um, Agnico. I don't know anything about any of these companies. You know, it seems this like you could just uh, buy the commodity ADM. to me. Three plus billion market cap, so a real company. They have uh, what kind of revenue? They ooh, they have three hundred million in revenue, so that's ten times revenue. Hmm. This stock at around thirty-five dollars is off of a forty-one plus high, but fifty percent higher than any price it traded at last year. Um, you know, double any price of the prior two years to that. So, been quite a ride here. It's kind of spiked up. Um, it looks like. Sure. Even Value Line's analyst points out that the Value Line ranking system rewards momentum, and it's been pretty strong here. Look at this chart. I mean, that's a one-rated stock, stick. yeah. You know, that's more like a flagpole mm -hmm. or something like that. Well, the valuation. Uh, momentum, uh, you know, ooh, the dreaded a little M crazy there. So, um, you know, there is there. So, you know, I'm just interested. What's the valuation case here, right? Uh, right at the top of the page, P-E ratio NMF, not meaningful. Yeah. Well, I got a $35 stock. I have earnings estimates of 65 cents and 70 cents. So, I mean, I can do that math. It means the PE is 50. Yeah, it would seem that you could calculate that. I'd say that's pretty meaningful. It's a it's a meaningful number to me. It's, it's kind of high. Maybe it's a typo. Maybe the. Well, my first thought when I saw that was with that type of multiple, they had to have a margin that could recover. And that the market's betting that they're going to get some recovery there, right, but yeah, uh, the really punchline to that is their 20 plus yeah. percent. So where's that? Go? Where's uh, that? Go? Net profit margin, not operating margin or anything like that. I mean, this is what they're taking to the bottom line. Um, there's not a lot of debt and capital structure. Uh, can't, don't know what to make of the capital structure. Value Line says they recently sold 250 million dollars worth of stock, but shareholders' equity jumped. From 200 to 450 in 02, went up to 650, 05. Maybe that's the more recent deal. It looks like the raised equity at least a couple times in the last few years. Why am I going on about this? I don't know. It's a fascinating case. Canadian gold producer owns and operates a mine, the Laurent mine in Quebec. That's that's it. That's what they do. Um, they expanded production recently, and. Um, their gold production was about 242,000 ounces. And they, it says here that they have 10 million of reserves, so they have about 50 years' worth of production at current rates. 
And, I, you know, there was a time when I didn't understand, well, if they have a mine and it's going to be done at some point, why would anybody pay anything for that? But when you're calculating the present value of cash flows and you're out 50 years, the number, it could be a billion, trillion dollars by then, and the present value would be zero. Yeah, so, well, so much depends um, on where interest rates go and metal prices. It's a lot of guesswork. Et cetera, so, I, you know, it's an interesting, uh, looks like an interesting company. Why not just operate the mine for the 50 years and pay out all your earnings as a dividend to people? I, but there's hardly any yield here. And it says they're also in exploration and development activities. And they raised money. They're going to develop new mines. I think that's fascinating, given that their only experience is with a single mine. Now, maybe management's got some diversified experience, but uh, the institution doesn't. What's their sales level? Three hundred million. Well, that's a lot of money. I mean, these guys versus running a seven-eleven. They've done a great job. Right, but gold prices. I mean, we couldn't decide. What have they doubled or something like that? So. You know, not that long ago, revenue was $125 million. Yeah, you can't buy this. I think, you know, Here's I can't even talk about thing. it anymore. Here's a fascinating thing about this company. They've uh, they've got earnings per share around $0.65, $0.70 cents now, it says. They have not, a lot of years with losses, but there's been a number of years with earnings. Look at capital spending per share. They've got data back to 1990. Capital spending per share exceeds earnings per share in every single That's unbelievable. year. Of the company's so history. So they've been uh, liquidating and themselves also, for 20 years. And also, the cap spending per share also exceeds, I mean, exceeds uh, cash flow per share in every year except one, 2004, recently, when gold prices, I guess, maybe were on the move. That's so. like levitating. It really is. This is, I don't know what this is. It's not even a lottery oh, ticket. Man. Lottery ticket has the promise of great wealth if you, you just got to toss it. That's a, that looks like a great short idea, I guess. So anyway... That's uh, that's precious metals, and we're not going to get involved with that. But uh, metals and mining, very interesting space. Value Line's got a nice summary. Uh, aluminum price has been doing well. Fundamental demand up, global growth, all that. That's what's been helping copper as well. Um, but there is a uh, fair amount of, uh, I mean, companies are trying to put capacity in place for uh, incremental uh, copper production. Ultimately, it's going to bring prices down, as you know. Nickel, uh, been on a real tear, very... Uh, uh, very much in-demand metal because it's a critical element in producing stainless steels, and um, that's uh, closely tied to living standards in places like China. You've also got aerospace play there. You have that with aluminum as well. The stocks, though, you can see in this index chart have just been absolutely huge. So is there anything here to buy? Uh, we started with uh, cream of the crop, BHP Billiton, $134 billion market cap. That's a big They're company. They're in everything, crude oil, natural gas. I believe we talked about we this have, earlier we this have. year. Is that an Australian uh, they, company? They pay some yield, but it's 20 times free cash flow. The value line's talking about some, like, 15-plus percentage growth rates over the next several years. I find that really you know, kind it's of, all got to be a new paradigm for prices. that to work. You know, it's a new paradigm. You got to you got to value it on a value per population in China, just like you used to have to do eyeballs on the internet. This stuff doesn't. If there's any return to uh, economic pricing in this industry, this is overvalued, right? As you pointed out, it's an Australian company. They only report numbers twice a year, so we've got, I guess, twice the uh, information risk. There's momentum here, I guess, but. Uh, that doesn't I mean, bother me twice. There's just year. there's just nothing here to be excited about. Well, it's not now, cheap. Uh, China is a huge element in all the commodity stories. It, it may not account for a large part of the overall market, but it's a huge portion of incremental growth. So um, what I'd look for in the near term with uh, Chinese growth clearly overheating is further actions by the uh, Chinese uh, 
central government to raise near-term rates to try to slow the economy down. We've already seen this before. The U.S. Uh, market, especially commodity-sensitive stories, do not take that well. So look for an opportunity to buy BHP Billiton on a panic sell-off, but not here. Um, and then we thought we'd look at, there's also number one on Alcan. I thought I'd look at the comparison on the aluminum companies. I don't know. There must be something about uh, uh, valuation standards in this group, but both Alcan and Alcoa, uh, the former rated one, symbol AL. Uh, Alcoa is symbol AA rated two. So Value Line likes both of them. They're both north of, you know, 15, 20 billion market cap. 10 PEs. Uh, they both pay some yield. They're 20 times free pay cash them. flow. Uh, they have great balance sheets, um, but earnings, of course, are inflated. Uh, return on total capital. I really, I mean, Alcoa is back to levels that they once were able to. So here you have a market peak, Alcan, and they're only in the low teens. In an entirely new territory. They've never seen double-digit returns on total capital. So um, I, there's nothing there. I, if I was going to do anything here, given um, the differential and the valuations are about the same, but Alcoa pays a um, higher yield and is less tied strictly to aluminum supply and prices. I might be long Alcoa short Alcan is, uh, and try to arb it, but um, that brings me to what I think is kind of the most interesting case in, uh, in uh, value line this week, and they don't really pay much attention to it. Um, only one of these four stocks has a one or a two rating. And two of them don't even have uh, the ratings, I guess, have been suspended by Value Line. And these are the stocks that are all involved in this giant five-company Falcon Bridge mess, um, which started with you have uh, a uh, company I don't called know Falcon Bridge. That, this is a combination of Noranda and Falcon Bridge in 2005. They're a third nickel and 60% copper. Okay, so these are two very hot commodities right now. Stock's been a moonshot. Recently, 53, very close to its all-time high. High last year, 31. The year before, 19. Um, I, I didn't even figure the cash flow multiple here. Let's see, you got about uh, $6 in free cash. So free cash, actually, on this one doesn't look too bad, somewhere around 10 times. Um, they have a takeover offer from, uh, well, let's see, how this started originally. Number one, uh, a company, an Australian uh, um, miner named Extrata owns 20% of Falcon Bridge, and they made an offer to buy the remaining 80%. All cash, Extrata wants to buy Falcon Bridge, with Falcon Bridge at you know, wild valuation levels. Um, Inco, competitor in nickel, uh, symbol N, value line doesn't, has also suspended the rating here. They are um, they're copper, precious metals, and cobalt, besides a 24% share of the world's nickel market. So they're the biggest player in nickel. They see Falcon Bridge being acquired by Extrata, a rival. They make a rival bid to buy Falcon Bridge. Their deal is part cash, part stock. Hmm. So Tech Cominco, a Canadian company, this symbol is TCK, they just listed on the New York recently. And by the way, all these companies have huge Are any of these? Are any buys here? $14 buys? Billion. Are we buying any of these? Are we buying any of these? I'm sorry. Am I in the middle of your story? Yeah, you are. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you are. Um, they, they make an offer to buy Inco, but they don't want Falcon Bridge, and they also offer stock. And so I'm looking at this situation at this point, and I'm thinking, I don't get these guys at Extrata. They're going to take cash and buy overpriced assets, whereas the guys at Inco are trying to use 
their stock price, which is uh, $67 and within $3 of an all-time high. Tech Cominco is trying to get Inco, which is really the better company relative to Falcon Bridge if you're trying to corner the market in nickel. Tech Cominco is in um, gold, copper, zinc, almost everything except nickel. They're going to use their stock, recent price 70, down from 88. I think the, the, the offer has something to do with that. And along comes Phelps Dodge, the uh, venerable U.S.-based uh, copper miner that's diversified into some other areas. Um, and they offer to roll it all up. They want, they want uh, Inco and Falcon Bridge in a deal that is roughly 80% stock. And we're getting close to the vote here. This, I figure, Phelps Dodge, they're using so much stock, this makes them the smartest of the group. So what's likely to happen? Well, Extrata is offering all cash for Falcon Bridge holders. What do they want Inco shares for when Inco shares are going to be bought with stock from other companies? Without a notepad, I'm lost. So, I've seen the numbers, you know, they're roughly equivalent at, at recent uh, stock prices, and I mean the last couple of days. So Falcon Bridge goes to Extrata. That provides, that means the Phelps Dodge offer falls apart. Tech Cominco buys Inco, but that deal involves stock. Inco a little less attractive. I think I read something about Falcon this, Bridge. actually. A small company sure trying to become a large company. I'm not sure where these stock price prices go, but Tech Cominco is going to become a lot Inco's more. Inco's trying to buy all these things. Right? You know, this is, but Phelps Dodge, mm. who ends up, I think, ultimately left mm. at the altar, um, in effect, is, I think, kind of putting itself up for sale. And um, if nothing else, I like the vote of confidence in management that they're trying to take advantage of uh, a maybe a last shot in copper, given their U.S.-based high-cost assets, uh, to try and Well, there may be a lesson in all of this, metals. and I didn't follow all of that I, because I have a short attention span this time of day. But when you get enormous wads of cash... And uh, it's more cash than you could ever and these imagine. Are, these are twenty and billion. These are fifteen I mean, things twenty billion dollars. These deals. things are transformational. Companies that you never thought would do something, and people you never thought would do things, do things that uh, you know are a result of the transformation of all this money. How much money do right. these guys all have on their balances? Well, you can't buy any of these things, but you know, on on this basis. But uh, Phelps Dodge, if the deal goes south. I've got a huge cash flow generator, and they have a history of paying the paying the cash out to shareholders. Anyway, so a long way to go to now to answer your question. No, there's not a buy in the group. Value Line's got a pretty strong concentration of ones and twos in uh, metals and mining this week, and I'm afraid the value guys disagree, or at least this value guy disagrees because I don't see the value. Okay. There. And uh, with that, I uh, finished my tour of uh, the commodity sector hot area lately, and uh, now we'll go to an area that's probably equally controversial. Uh, yeah, farmer, well, right? you know, it's controversial. Uh, this is Val, Val Hughes. And, uh, you know, the value line this week, first of all, I'm a little sleepy. I didn't sleep well last night. The markets have been tough. All my stocks are going down. And so I have to start out just with uh, a comment about a stock we talked about last week. Because part of my, you know, frankly, Vern, part of the reason I didn't sleep well was because I felt a little bad this week about uh, something that happened here on the show last week. I, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, uh, I recommended Granger uh, last week. Uh, I think I kind of talked on about how what a great company it is. And, of course, it is a great company. It's a great company. It is a great company. Well, on Monday, they uh, they reported earnings, and um, 
they were on track. They hit the number that uh, the analysts had forecast, but uh, they didn't disclose every detail about their ongoing uh, real estate purchases and sales. They have about 400 branches uh, that distribute parts and equipment to industrial America around the country, and as a matter of course, they're buying and selling some of these because a customer might move, a new industrial park opens, there's a better location. Oftentimes, if... Well, big companies like that become end yeah, up being they, major real estate holders in every so market it's, they're it's, in. It's normal business. Well, there was a particular analyst that felt that somehow management was obfuscating the fact that they missed a quarter because of these real estate. Uh, by the way, they were gains, so they're doing something right in real estate anyway. Uh, and the uh, you know the the, the 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 interesting thing is the company doesn't forecast a particular earnings number so it really I think may you could you could argue that it was the yeah, yeah for the for quarter, quarter that the mean, analyst uh, missed the estimate the company I think is you know quite pleased the stock however due to concerns about recession uh, the Fed is you know who knows what they're doing they send confusing messages every day some people just enjoy uh, seeing the market move around when they speak I don't know. I don't know. But he, anyway, uh, Granger was down a lot. I think it's uh, in the low 60s now. And I love the company as much as ever. I did actually a lot of work on Granger this week, scrubbing up the numbers. Uh, they actually endorsed their earnings range for the year. Sales growth is going to be a little slower, but they said that it's going to be products that have low margins that they're going to sell less of. I think when you're in a capacity constrained situation and you're trying to optimize your business without taking additional capital spending risks, you're going to increase the value of each customer. Sometimes that means you might drop lower margin customers, and that might lead to a little bit of a sales slowdown, but still allow you to make the same numbers. So the company's on track. They're doing things well. Uh, it's an extraordinary deal on Granger right now. So just want to, it's not even in this week's value line. I'm just dealing with guilt. GWW, I'd get out there and buy. You know, one of the analysts actually said that what concerned them a lot, and this is what helped the stock go down, this is what's so crazy about Wall Street, ladies and gentlemen, and our ongoing sort of theme of what is crazy about Wall Street. Here's one. That is this analyst who's so caught up, uh, you know, in their day-to-day -day and all, actually made the comment that uh, he was a little concerned that management didn't know what the gross profit would be in the fourth quarter. And, of course, uh, that's in the future. Uh, you know, frankly, I'm a little concerned. I don't know uh, what the Yankees are going to do this weekend, and that's bothering my wife as well, who's betting on the game. But in any case, um, Granger's a great uh, company. It's selling at a, a bargain price here, and uh, I don't even want to get into all the specifics. Uh, go listen to last week's show, uh, but buy it at today's price. That's a hell of a deal. Okay, I want to get to the drug industry. Uh, this this week, that's one industry I have covered uh, that's in here. They do a lot of real estate, which is expensive. Wouldn't touch anything in there, and even Value Line knows that. Insurance, you know, who knows? They make up their earnings as they go, generally. And you've, uh, you've covered yeah, the, the insurance I have, companies on the show before. I didn't interest me this week. So I went to the drug industry, yeah. and I'm just going down the line. Drug industry is 1244. Drugs are out of favor. The big picture on Big Pharma right now is a couple of things. Uh, one is you have the ongoing issue with, uh, you know, R&D departments not coming up with the same number of drug, new drug 
per year as they used to. Uh, that was thought to be an FDA approval problem a few years ago, but they hired a bunch of new guys and it didn't help a bit. So uh, the drug companies, things are going off patent, and the generic companies are then having a chance to make some of these big um, selling drugs at, uh, at, at lower prices. And that's one of the big dichotomies in pharma is you'll hear people talk about the concern about drug prices and costs getting out of control. At the same time, uh, you know, most of the patented drugs right now that are earning 70% gross margins are going to be coming off patent. And unless we start inventing new drugs, actually uh, pharmaceuticals are going to be cheaper uh, yeah. Not literally, we right. But but as as we, these pharma right. products come off patent, too much responsibility. Um, you know, these are, things are going to get very cheap. And you can think about it this way: all of known medical science right now, as of today, uh, July twenty first, two thousand six. 20 years from now is going to cost about 10% as much as it does now. So if these scientists don't get busy inventing new drugs, we don't have any uh, problem with pharmaceutical prices, although, you know, we'll be stuck in medicine of 2006, which right now seems okay to all of us. So uh, whatever they're doing on the Star Trek uh uh, you know, sick bay you know, is going to cost a lot. But the drugs we have now are going to get very cheap, and there's uh, people on both sides. I happen to like wading into some of these generics uh, because, uh, you know, we're going to be lifted by the boat of demographics. This sector does have a great demographic story, so if you can focus on unit growth, uh, I think you're going to you know, be on to something here. Well, leveraged by the uh, U.S. government deciding to start supporting and uh, subsidizing the use of pharmaceuticals broadly by the population in order to try and rein in uh, conventional well, that's medical true. care. Um, the biggest problem with pharmaceuticals and medical care, we've talked about this on the show before, is there's no free market for medical care. Uh, consumers like to shop on price and they like to shop on quality. That's how you shop for most things that are in Consumer Reports. That's how they rate things. That's how we all think about the world. And yet, here's an area where you're really not able to find out much about either one. It's no surprise that we're using tea leaves to figure out which doctors to go to or golf buddies who tell you where to go or your wife's friends. Meanwhile, for products where there's lots of coverage as to price and quality and it's readily available and indexable, like cars and televisions, and guess what's happening? The people with the best products are winning. Right. The people with the lousy products are losing because consumers will force that's they'll exactly force right. a competitive There are some things going on. We are starting to see some rankings of hospitals, some preliminary rankings of doctors. Hopefully that will all evolve, and that's going to fix the problem in health. Meantime, uh, that's a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of theory. Let's get down to a couple of stocks here. Uh, the drug group, because of some of these concerns, we've also got political concerns. You know, baby boomers are going to vote, even though they're capitalists, they're going to vote for free drugs simply because they're going to be taking more drugs. That's just a human nature kind of a thing. Uh, the good thing we have going in this industry, though, is we have a demographics. We have a weak chart over the last five years, so there are some deals here. Um, let me just jump in. I'm going to start out on page, uh, let's see, I lost my index here. Bar Pharmaceutical, page 1248. Um, yeah, thank you. I uh, I like the stock. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's. Of course, there they're always real. Let me, let me get it. Now, it's trading at a 14% uh, <laughs> discount to the uh, S&P 400. The profit margins at an operating level are rising. They're in the 40s. Net margins in the mid-20s. That's awfully good. And return on capital in the, in the you know, high teens, 20s, with no 
uh, dead, which I like. Uh, now, what, is, what do these guys do? They develop and manufacture generic and proprietary pharmaceuticals for the treatment of cancer, hypertension, heart disease, depression, hormone replacement, and oral contraceptives. Um, now, uh, ValueLine points out the stock has been volatile. That's usually code for down on Wall Street. When stocks are up a lot, you don't hear about them being ooh, volatile. It's like, wow, I'm making a killing. So, but in any case, this one's volatile, and uh, there's some uh, there's some there's some risk in their in their product line. Uh, well, let me see here. You know what? I didn't really do very good work on this one. Let me just read here. The comps are coming up that look pretty strong. Uh, McKesson accounts for 20. Oh, I, I know what the problem is. I did the little homework. What's happening in this generic market is that the branded drug manufacturers have figured out um, that when they go off patent, instead of just giving the stuff up to the generic guys, they're going to battle back and just lower the price of the branded product to the price where the generic guy uh, would make any money. So all these generic guys are taking a big hit because uh, the the branded pharma guys are coming out with uh, with cheaper products. And I think the big one on that is, you know, um, I believe someone's coming out with a generic version of Zocor, which I think is Merck, and they're going to introduce that product at a price that reflects uh, generic pricing. So that's putting a hit on all these generic uh, companies. Well, Big Pharma, because they got to spend so much money inventing new drugs, they're going to pick and choose their spots uh, on these uh, generic versions, and uh, there's still going to be a lot of opportunity here. Um, I would love to buy this thing on a downtick, which is what we're seeing right now over fear of Big Pharma coming in this space, because um, I just don't think that they're going to get to everything, and there's going to be plenty of volume here uh, down the road. Um, they've got, uh, you know, they're trading at a little more than 10 times cash flow. It's a little more than I like. Uh, there's no dividend, so I'd say this is a weak, you know, kind of buy. I don't even know why I'm talking about it, other than they are a leader in generics. They do reflect some of the issues. I just sort of put that on a maybe list if it gets cheaper. But what I really like here is BioVail. Um, BioVail is on page 1250, and they're an interesting company because they do a bit of proprietary product and they also do some generic which if you've got proprietary product with an ongoing uh, customer base uh, you know that's stable that can pay for some of the ups and downs in generic uh, generic profits can be very strong but they can be short-lived uh, during a period of exclusivity until other people come in and beat up your your profit margins the problem with BioVail and the reason it's down this thing is trading at 9.6 times earnings so I mean a value guy's got to wait in here and look at it it's trading at a 45 percent discount to the S&P uh, 500 it's got a 2.3 percent uh, yield on a cash flow basis this thing is trading at uh, Quite a bit less than 10 times, about eight times. And on a free cash flow basis, they spend only a quarter a share in CapEx. Most of their CapEx, remember, is going to be in the form of R&D for new drugs, which is going to be, uh, you know, expensed. And it's going to be in a lab that they built 10 years ago and is fully depreciated, et cetera. And the chemicals don't cost that much on their own. So CapEx here is 25 cents a share on two on three bucks in cash flow. So on a free cash flow basis, this thing is about eight times. Their returns on capital have uh, over a 20-year period, they're volatile, but, you know, the lowest number is about, uh, well, 7%. That's one year. The second lowest is 12. They seem to average about 15 16%. There's lots of years here in the 20s and even in the 30s and 40s, depending on the, you know, the, the, the stage they're at with, with their current product flow. Uh, one of the things that BioVail has done successfully is they've taken 
generic type drugs and then they've added a proprietary delivery system in the form of uh, an inhaler and that type of thing that allows them to extend patent protection and margins on the product and and they've shown an ability to manage capital pretty well the negative right now is that they've got a little bit of a generic battle on their hands with Wellbutrin, which is their biggest selling product, accounts for 38% of revenue. Um, and so uh, as you have the risk of somebody else coming in there, you have some risk to earnings. But it's not a risk to them being in the business. It's just a risk to a competitor. And if that goes in half in the PE instead of 9.6, they lose some earnings. It's 12 or 13. You're still going to have... Uh, the wind at your back of uh, volume growth by demographics and also this industry will on a consistent basis get price increases uh, at least in line with inflation. Remember when you have inflation half of the products are going to be in the above inflation category, the other half below. This is going to be in the above and uh, partly because they save you money on, uh, on branded products. So BioVail, 9.6 times earnings, uh, some good comparisons coming up. This year, next year is going to be a tougher year as this well mutant rolls off. Well, you know what? Value Line has this rated a 1. I usually don't agree with them, but I do in this case. Okay, uh, moving along, Merck, M-R-K. Now, we've talked about, it's a big company. Now, we've talked about Merck and Pfizer before, and uh, we've been, you know, counseling buying both. Two big companies, very similar, make a lot of old-line drugs, fears they're coming off patent. But in recent uh, days, something interesting has happened, which has uh, been that Merck's gone up. They've had some successes with some hormone uh, therapies, um, and that's helped the stock. Meantime, Pfizer's gone down, and that's, I think, because you have some generic, uh, you know, some, some risks to, to Lipitor over the uh, uh, the next uh, year or so, and the generic uh, Zocor is coming out, which is a competitor to Lipitor, which is still on patent. So there's some concern about Lipitor. Lipitor is uh, 12 billion in sales out of 51, so that's of some concern. But you know, Pfizer is well diversified, as we pointed out here before. They have the biggest sales force in the industry. Compared to Merck, they spend about 7 billion a year on R&D. Merck spell spends 3.5. So Pfizer. Uh, just in a man hours, you know, working on projects should have a better success rate over time than Merck. Pfizer's 11 times earnings. Merck is 15. Pfizer. I was going to say, surely there's well, the problems, problems are factored in the price. I mean, free cash flow at Pfizer right now is 260 a share. The stock is 23. This is nine times free cash flow. You know, how much of this goes away if the if you well, lose, if you say, lose six billion dollars, and so see the thing about these pharma companies, I think people forget when they get concerned about this, is gross margin on uh, Lipitor is probably seventy-five percent. Then they have a giant sales force, and they earn operating margins of you know thirty, forty percent. Well. They can eliminate a lot of salespeople. I think that the, the little secret in the pharmaceutical industry is as products are bought on functionality uh, and pricing, the need for a giant sales force is, you know, basically convincing each doctor to try drugs with their patients is going to, you know, erode. And uh, there's a lot of savings to be had in these sales forces. So uh, to answer your question, if it's all incremental, if you take $12 billion and it's all incremental loss and 70% gross margin, uh, your profits go, uh, let's just see here, uh, away completely. Okay, So that's some concern, but that's not what will actually happen. Uh, Lipitor is a little different product than, than uh, Zocor. Zocor 
if I recall, is really used in, in uh, companionship with another product called the Zetia, and um, you know those are both Merck. I think one might be a uh, sharing plow product, Merck and sharing plow working together on that combination. Um, you know, Lipitor is still the biggest selling drug in the world. A lot of doctors prefer Lipitor. Lipitor, you know, has a great success history. So. Some of that's overblown, and uh, in any case, uh, you know the, the savings that would come from from even uh, modest declines in the sales force, I think, can protect certainly protect the dividend here. And remember, you've got scientists trying to invent new products. We all want to live forever, and if they figure this stuff out, there's going to be a lot of gross margin in that. Um, I had a couple other ones here, but I'm I'm getting kind of sleepy now, Vern. You know. I, I don't know. I just, I'd say I have one more. This is a little bit off the beaten path. I'm not a chemical analyst. But I'm looking at uh, a Dow Chemical here, and uh, it's on page uh, 1236 in your value line. Uh, the stock's been weak for, oh, well, let's see. The last major uptick in the stock was in 1999. So you've had kind of a negative performance for nine years. Nine years. Well, this is relative it, performance this here, this right chart here. here. Well, this oh, is relative these dots here. And, oh, um, okay. you know, so I, it's, I it's been weak. But I'm looking at the statistics here, and I see, you know, sales per share that pretty much go up during recoveries. When you get recessions, they go sideways to down for three years. That was the experience in the early 90s and the early uh, aughts, if you will. And uh, it appears that's what the stock market is expecting right now. Uh, certainly the market's expecting these returns to be unsustainable. You're at 19% projected for 06 after, uh, you know, uh, that's the peak number in the last 15 years. And the average for the last 15 years eyeballs to be 10. So, or 10, yeah. So, you know, 19 is unsustainable uh, unless you believe that we're in a new paradigm. And this should be valued as a, yeah, for chemicals, China. China for chemicals? chemicals, you know, for commodity Chinese chemicals. guy, this is cheap, don't you think? Anyway, that's a whole different argument. Yeah. Anyway, here's what I'm going to say. The stock China? is a 58% discount to the S&P. I don't know what's going to happen, except they make a lot of important stuff in the plastics area, packaging. I mean, everything you use has a Dow product in it. Uh, agriculture, uh, housewares, you know, uh, automotive. They're basically, you know, in the economy everywhere, and it's seven and a half times earnings. They probably make that. Saran wrap, maybe? Respectable return on capital, so it might go back to 8%, 7% if we get an extended downturn. Uh, cash flow very comfortably covers the dividend. Even in the very worst years, their buck sixty dividend uh, would be well covered in the worst years of the 91 recession and also the 01 recession. It's a 4.1% yield, uh, so your worst case is you get that yield and maybe you get a little bump here. If the stock goes to even 10 times, you know, Current earnings, you get a nice bump. If it goes to 20 nice times, earnings, yeah, exactly. Now if it a goes nice to 20 bump, times you'd be up a third. Still up. So, um, I'm going to say that uh, I like the Dow Chemical here. I don't know a lot about it, except they're expecting you know 10, 20 percent earnings gains in the next three quarters, more like 20. And it's, excuse me, uh, seven and a half times earnings. What else do you have to know? It could go down for a while. I don't know, but I think. I think five years from now you're going to be glad. No, Dow chemical. down, Dow down. It could happen, Dow, but I'm recommending down, it. I'm recommending down, it here no, okay. today.
on the show. And and that's right now, burnt, July twenty first. Mark it down. I'm just excited that well, I'm going to sleep. You don't sound so tired soon. anymore. That's what you're hearing now. The excitement that I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Of the, of the show's over. That's a well, terrible sentiment. I'm sad. You must not that the show's be going over. to take a nap. I wish the show could go on. You mentioned earlier that you were going to be no, taking a nap. No, I'm not. I don't get to take a nap. Oh, tomorrow. Okay. I'm anyway, this is Val Hughes. And I'm a worn out Wall Street analyst. And believe me, it's been a tough week to be. Anything in Wall Street, as I'm sure you all appreciate as you look at your Excel or Lotus spreadsheets of what your current portfolio is worth. Good luck. Thanks for listening.